gospel in song, what a great blessing that is to us. If you'll turn with me this morning, not to the gospel of Mark. I'm going to take a two-week break from our study in Mark. And turn with me to Luke chapter 22. You have to forgive me this morning. I left my reading glasses on my desk. So I'm going to do a lot more of this than usual as I try to see things this morning. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Luke's account of the Last Supper. As we read, remember, this is the Word of God. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city... A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. That is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we thank you so much for the treasure that we've just held in our hands and read with our eyes, the living, the abiding, holy word of the living God, the truth. And Father, we pray that we might always treasure times where we can read it, where we can study it, where we can hear it proclaimed or taught. We pray your blessing upon this time as a body in your word that might be profitable for us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might know Jesus better. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. The central focus of Jesus' ministry, of course, was his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. So what we observe during this week, we know in the church as Holy Week, is the very heart of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus left heaven and came to earth was to die for sinners. And Paul said, you know, 
among whom I am the foremost. I'm the greatest of them all. Well, couldn't we all say that? The Lord Jesus came. His purpose in coming was to die on the cross to save sinners like us. Now, the crucifixion did not just happen. Crucifixion was not just some kind of oops that surprised God as the redemptive plan unfolded. No, the crucifixion happened because God planned it. And it happened exactly the way God had ordained for it to take place. If you'll turn with me over to the book of Acts for just a moment, keep your finger in Luke 22, turn over to Acts chapter 2. This is the first gospel sermon preached by Peter at the day of Pentecost. And in verse 23, he says this, this man, that is Jesus. He's been talking about Jesus in verse 22. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. That was God's plan. Well, Jesus knew God's plan. He understood that he was the Savior. He understood what it would involve for him to be the Savior. I pointed out several times the significance of a particular passage Gary James read it this morning in Sunday school. It's in Luke chapter 9, and it's verse 51, where right after the ascension, we're told when the days were approaching, or after the transfiguration, it says when the days were approaching for his ascension, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. Notice what the text says. Jesus was determined to go there. The Greek literally says he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he did that knowing exactly what would happen when he got there. He had just told his disciples when we arrive in Jerusalem that he would suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And so Jesus made this kind of last journey into Jerusalem. It was something of a death march. It took several months for him to get there. But he did it resolutely. He did it in a determined way, knowing exactly what was in front of him. Well, in our text here in Luke 22, it's now Thursday of what we know as Passion Week or Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Jesus arrived finally in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the day we observe today. That was the day that he entered in Jerusalem in what we know as the triumphal entry. You know how that day unfolded? Uh, He was riding on a colt into the city of Jerusalem and word began to spread and there was this kind of mass hysteria and people were pouring out of the city and they lined the the road and they were so uh, taken by what was happening that they began to cut palm branches from the trees and put them down, wave them in, uh, along Jesus' path. They took off their robes and made a, a road for him on their robes to, to ride. They began to take Old Testament scripture and quote it and apply it to Jesus, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I've never been one to preach sermons just on Palm Sunday. Because if you look at Palm Sunday, 
as an isolated event, you miss the point. Where were all these masses of people five days later when Jesus was about to be nailed to the cross? They were nowhere to be found. See, after Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem, he went straight to the temple and he began to drive out the money changers and he cleansed or cleared the temple of those who were desecrating it. For the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, Jesus spent time in and around the temple teaching, preaching, and he was uh, uh, calling to account the religious leaders of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees. He was taking them task. He was holding them accountable. He was accusing them of misleading the people and preventing them from understanding the truth of the gospel, realizing that he was indeed the Son of God. And the people responded positively to Jesus preaching, but the religious leaders were enraged by. If you flip back over to Luke chapter 19, this is actually Luke's account of the triumphal entry. In verses 47 and 48, it says, After he'd entered and was teaching, as in he was teaching daily in the temple the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on to every word that he said. Well, by Wednesday, Jesus went into a time of seclusion. Remember, he knew the plan of God. He knew what was coming. And so he went into seclusion on Wednesday to be by himself, to prepare himself for what was coming. Now, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, the Pharisees, of course, had been plotting. That's what the text says. They were trying to destroy Jesus. They had nothing to bring against him. Well, they had the good fortune of one of Jesus' own coming to them and turning against Jesus, saying, I will, I will Turn him over to you. That was Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Made a deal. Then he went back to the 12 and to Jesus waiting for a time to betray him. Well, that brings us to our text this morning. Uh, we've come to Luke chapter 22. It's now Thursday of this period known as Holy Week what we know in the church as Maundy Thursday. Here we find Jesus and the disciples in what we know as the upper room. Now, the upper room appears to have been a significant place for the disciples. Uh, they observed the Last Supper there. We assume it was there that the disciples went uh, right after Jesus' resurrection when they were huddled together, not knowing what was going to happen next. That's the place where Jesus appeared to them. Uh, we see the upper room again in Acts chapter 1 when uh, the disciples are waiting after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Uh, they're in the upper room. They're waiting 
for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they're in the upper room praying together. And so this upper room is kind of an important place in redemptive history. It was here in this particular room that Jesus gave his disciples a, a real sense of his coming death. And he did that by instituting the Lord's Supper. This was, as the text says, the day when the Jews observed the Passover. Uh, the Passover was uh, an annual event that ushered in the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so Jesus uh, was making preparations to observe the Passover with his disciples. And he sent uh, uh, two of them, Peter and John, into Jerusalem to prepare for them. But they turned to Jesus and said, look, we don't know. We don't know of a place. We don't know where to go to prepare it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. When you go into the city, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. And when you see the man, you follow him. You go to the house where he's going. And then you say to the owner of the house, the teacher has need of a room to observe the Passover. And he will give you a place where we can do it. And they went into the city and they found things just as Jesus said that they would. Now you might wonder, well, how out of all the people in Jerusalem at that time would they know what man to follow? Well, the man would be doing something very unusual. He'd be carrying a pitcher of water. Men didn't carry pitchers of water in those days. It was the women who carried the water. And so this man would be very noticeable to Peter and John. And so they saw him and they followed him and they went to the owner of the house. And we assume that this man was a believer in the Lord Jesus. He made this room available again for the Passover, made it available after the resurrection, made it available after Jesus' ascension as well. Well, the Passover, of course, was one of the major Jewish religious festivals and ceremonies. It commemorated, of course, the, the, the night of the 10th plague when God delivered his people from their bondage in Egypt. You remember how uh, they were to take a, a lamb and they were to sacrifice that lamb. They were to take some of the blood of that lamb and smear it on their doorpost. They were to eat a meal. They were to eat it packed and ready to travel. It was that night that the death angel passed through Egypt. And in every home where there was no blood speared on the doorpost, the firstborn died. On every home where there was blood, the death angel passed over that family and they were spared. As a result of what happened, of course, the Egyptians and Pharaoh were enraged. The Israelites were literally driven out of Egypt. They were saved by the blood, if you will. And the Passover was an annual event, an annual ceremony to remember what God did for them in delivering them from their bondage in Egypt by the sacrifice of the lamb and the smearing of the blood upon the doorpost. Well, Jesus had observed the Passover with 
the 12 before. And here they are gathered again to do it. You find in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this. I'll start with verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, again, he had observed it before, but he was looking forward to this one. Why was Jesus looking forward to this one? It's because it was the last one. Not just the last one for him to spend with the 12. But this was the last one. This was the last Passover. Because Jesus in this text is making the great transition from the Passover, which anticipated the coming of the Messiah who would give his life, shed his blood on the cross for the sins of his people to the Lord's Supper which now looks back upon the fact that Jesus did indeed go to the cross, bear the sin of his people, and die in their place. It's a moment of great transition as we find Jesus and the 12 here in the upper room observing what really was it the Last Supper, the last Passover, because Jesus was fulfilling everything, everything that Passover Signified during the meal, Jesus did something different from the Passover. He changed the ritual, he changed the liturgy, he changed the pattern. Because while they were in the midst of observing the Passover, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He broke it to symbolize the brokenness of his body as he would die on the cross. And they gave that, that broken bread to his disciples. Then he took a cup, a cup of wine, and he said to them, this blood is my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, the Greek word poured out means shed. This is my blood, Jesus said, which is shed for you. Now the blood, of course, symbolizes life. So what does the shedding of blood symbolize? It symbolizes death. Remember what Paul said about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Passover was to commemorate the sacrifice of those lambs whose blood was smeared on the doorpost so the death angel passed over them. They remember the death of those lambs by which they were spared. And now Jesus has turned the Passover into the Lord's Supper by which we remember his death, the death of the Lamb of God whose blood has been shed for us. And those of us who were covered in the blood of Jesus, the death angel passes over us and we're given eternal life. 
Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Oh, it's hard to imagine how over the years, how many lambs were sacrificed in the various Passovers that were observed by all the families of all the Jews for all those years. You know, what did, remember what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ is our Passover. Or he's our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed. But I want you to notice something else in our text. That is that Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament covenantal requirements and obligations. Notice what he says in the text. Verse 20. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Matthew's account says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. You know, if you'll turn back with me to Exodus chapter 24 for just a moment. This is right after the giving of the law. And after Moses read to the people the law that God had given to them. Of course, this was an important part of the Mosaic Covenant. In Exodus chapter 24 and verse 7, we find this. Then he, that is Moses, took the book of the covenant, that's the law, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Verse 8, so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with with all these words, behold, the blood of the covenant. And now here Jesus is in Luke 22 saying, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus is fulfilling everything the Old Testament anticipated. And all those sacrifices, all those years, find their culmination, their fulfillment in him. And so it's a very significant thing. You know, uh, Jeremiah talks about God establishing a new covenant with his people. And the new covenant is a covenant of grace by which we are all redeemed by the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Now, all believers of all times have always been saved by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would give his life on the, on the cross and die for them. The only way all those sacrifices had any atoning effect for them could atone for their sin was not just by the, the act of the sacrifice of the lamb, but only as they anticipated that this sacrifice symbolized as one who would come and give his life for them, even though they didn't know the details. 
Now, of course, we look back upon that same cross. Our hope is the same, isn't it? Theirs was a future hope. Ours is a backward hope. But all believers of all times have always been saved only by the blood of the Lamb of God who gave his life upon the cross for the sin of his people. So there in that upper room, Jesus did something very, very significant. He transformed the Passover into this. This great gift by which we now remember his death. Well, his death took place, of course, the next day on Friday. The day we know is Good Friday. And Jesus knew on that night in which he was betrayed and when he observed the Last Supper with his disciples that he was about to bear the sin, all the sin of all his people. He was about to bear the guilt and the shame and the penalty and the judgment for every sin that's ever been committed by those for whom he died. Look, just my sin, just my sin would be burden enough. But he took your sin, your sin, the sin of all his people. It's no wonder, is it, that that same night when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, his prayer was essentially a prayer of escape. He knew it. He knew what it was to bear the weight, the burden, the guilt of all of our sin. He was overwhelmed by it. And his prayer was this, Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? The cup of his blood. The cup of his suffering. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, of course, not my will, but thine be done. He knew what the Father's will was. He knew why he had come. He knew that the cross was in the plan. And the Lord Jesus took it on that next day, giving his life on the cross for us. There in that upper room, as Jesus took the bread and broke it, gave the cup and passed it around to them, he was proclaiming his death. He was declaring himself to be the suffering servant Described so graphically in Isaiah 53. Turn back with me to Isaiah 53 for just a moment. Such a wonderful passage, so familiar to us. Don't think Jesus didn't know Isaiah 53. Verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, 
we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. Yes, Jesus is our Passover lamb. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. As we partake of this, this morning, this new Passover, this, the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the reality, the significance, the wonder, and the power of his death. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is described so clearly in it for us. How vivid, how vivid his death is described in Isaiah 53. And how willingly he took it upon himself. Father, we thank you so much that we have not just the death of Jesus on the cross, but we have this sacrament, this gift, by which to remember it. May we do that this morning with humility and grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.